Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill and my co-host, the one and only Dan Z, and I are recording this on Wednesday, October 28th. So, uh, Dan, we are two days out from uh the start of season two of the mandalorian uh you know it debuts on disney plus on october 3rd and i I have to ask given your ties to to lucasfilm have we seen anything early i have not seen anything early yet but i have been eagerly anticipating that moment when and if that happens but unfortunately Mm. i have nothing to report on that front but wow just a few days away. I don't know about you, but my I showed season one to my wife and Mason two weeks ago, and they had never seen it, so it was very fun to revisit it, to kind of see it through their eyes for their first time, mm-hmm. but also to revisit it for me because I hadn't seen them since they originally aired. So it was it was mm-hmm. it reminded me how wonderful this show is. Oh, okay. Now I have to admit I, I've been voyeuristically enjoying your escapades on Twitter. I you know, but you know you you kind of went crazy on Mando Monday, right? You know, that, that, yes. now, did, did, did I hear right? You actually managed to score all of the, the classic collection figures. Yeah. The retro figures. I had, there's a website I like called big bad toy store. That seems to be always have the greatest stuff right away, but I don't think mm. people hit them as soon as they do the other websites or maybe they do. And I just get lucky, but they actually had, you could get an entire case of all seven of the mm. retro figures. So, I waited until 3 o'clock p.m. Central Time when it was live, and I hit refresh. It was boom, add to cart, and off we go to the races. So, yeah, I was very excited about that. I mean, they look exactly like the ones when we were growing up. I mean, I saw that Carl Weathers was absolutely Mm -hmm. enraptured by his Grief Karga Mm -hmm. retro figure. So that's great. I mean, that that just hits the sweet spot for all of us that grew up with the original Star Wars Kenner figures. Now, you know, and, and you're right. I love how they're carded. I love the graphics. You know, again, it's, you know, for those of us who go way, way back, uh, it was just fun to see what they did. I will say this much. I have to say I had more fun watching the members of the cast, you know, just get jazzed at, at the merch, you know, yes. uh, you know, whether it was their face on a T-shirt or, you know, uh, you know, or, or as you mentioned, you know, Carl Weathers with his own action figure. Um, but in a weird sort of way, it kind of took away from me, you know, I mean, remember this time last year, there was nothing from the Mandalorian, you know, uh, just said, you know, it was just sort of this mysterious thing that was coming over the horizon. We'd seen the trailers, we'd, you know, but but you know, there there were no toys to give anything away, and and this time around, there's there's so much merch. They have Baby Yoda Christmas pajamas for adults right now, yeah. and so Drew Taylor and I got a matching pair. We're gonna get the Christmas card ready. <laughs> we'll send it out to you soon. Oh, that'll be great. Uh, you know, I I will say this much. I I did. Uh, the Funko Pop figures, particularly of, of the the Mandalorian with the jetpack, and and I think there's one jetpack where he's actually carrying uh, Baby Yoda, the child. Uh, those mm. are certainly tempting, and I also yes. the dark saber, kind of cool looking, extremely. Um, but but I have to tell you, folks, this week when it came to spending my hard-earned cash, I had another item in mind, uh, and that was picking up my copy 
of the Star Wars book, which, Dan, I have to tell you, was honestly a surprise. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know, honestly, you know, what I was expecting, but this is, this is a legitimate reference book. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, and, you know, Star Wars 101, if you, if you would. Uh, you know, and, and what's kind of interesting is that it's the book you would give to somebody who is just, you know, sort of somehow discovered, you know, the Star Wars franchise and wants to learn more. Or, or for that matter, for someone like myself who thinks he knows a lot about the Star Wars universe, um, there's stuff in here I never knew before. And, and more to the point, great reference things like, you know, for example, laying out the entire uh, Star Wars galaxy. So, you know, the... Uh, you know, they, you understand where exactly planets are out on the outer rim. You can get lost in that map. That thing is that you, thing is amazing. No, absolutely. I, you know, I, I, I must have spent 15, 20 minutes of, okay, Dantooine, so Tatooine is there. You know, uh, that sort of thing. Um, can you talk a little bit about how this book came together? Because, again, it's what's, for me, what's crazy about this book is how right up to the minute it is i mean for example i'm paging to this thing that there's the high republic which you know uh yeah if if COVID hadn't screwed up the timeline um we'd have a few things out there but but this is really in a lot of ways people's first you know introduction to the high republic uh likewise surprising amount of stuff about the mandalorian um when you know can you talk about when you and, and Pablo and Cole were, were sitting down, uh, you know, how you, you tackled this? In January, uh, mm. middle of January, I was contacted by DK and, and asked to be a part of this project and be a part of this book. And so, of course, I said yes right away. And then mm. we um, were assigned the different sections mm. and in portions of the book that they wanted us to attack and to approach. And mm -hmm. so we had, I think I probably had about six, seven weeks uh, to write my my sections. And then, uh, you know, it goes through a round of edits and you get it back and tweak different things. And mm -hmm. and then you just refresh Amazon every second for, you know, weeks and weeks. And then finally it <laughs> pops up on there and, and then you're off to the races promoting it and getting excited for it. It was, it was quite a, quite a, I'm so intrigued by the process itself especially as a teacher, so I can explain to students what it's like mm -hmm. to write a book. So that was that was pretty rewarding for me. And not to mention the fact that I, it's really blowing my mind that this franchise, this, this story that I've loved since I was five years old, now I'm actually contributing to the lore, and it blows my mind to say that out loud. No, but, but I'm, I'm quite serious about the fact that this, seriously, if, you, if, if folks are out there who have kids who are interested in Star Wars, this, you know, we're sort of like, it's, you know, it's not pocket size. It's what, it's, it's an eight by 10, I want to say. That maybe, sounds right. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. It's a unique yeah. size, but, but it's, it's, it's like a I, textbook. I, I really feel like it's a Star Wars textbook that explains no, everything, whether that, you're brand new or your experience, like you said. Yeah. And I, I just, it does, it's, it's so beautifully organized. I mean, it, it, it's an easy read more to the point. I, I, again, I'm learning things about the franchise I never learned or never knew before. Uh, but again, that's largely because of the way things are grouped in it. Um, can, can you talk about, uh, you know, 
What did you get, you know, when they reached out to you, what were you, what, which parts of the book were you handed or, or assigned? I, well, I feel like we were all sort of assigned things that were in our wheelhouse that were in our strengths. I focused mm-hmm. on a lot of character stuff. I, I did a lot of stuff with the force and the Jedi mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, being able to focus on the Skywalkers a lot was an incredible honor. And mm-hmm. there's just like little various places um, throughout that I contributed. And I also got to, I haven't talked about this yet, but I got to do a third of the glossary, which thrilled me to no end. My wife thinks I'm crazy, but I loved writing the vocabulary. I thought that was great fun. <laughs> Spoken like a true teacher. Yes. All right. Well, no, again, I, I just, I'm just tickled uh, by the finished product and more to the point. And, and again, there's a part of me that feels sorry because if we weren't, dealing with COVID, you would have gone out and done a real for real book tour for this thing. But mm-hmm. it's been fun watching the newspaper stories and the, the local television station and that sort of thing. Um, what has that been like at your end? I mean, especially what with balancing teaching assignments and all that. Right. Well, we had a, we had a book signing at a, at a local coffee shop where I wrote about 60% of the book. And mm-hmm. you probably saw pictures of that. And that was extremely special to me because Mason sat at my right-hand side. And, I saw that. Oh, picture. it was adorable. Yeah. He even yeah. signed a couple of books. People wanted him to sign because people know about him through Facebook Live and just through the show. Mm-hmm. And he is still talking about that. The school where he went, the the principal came and bought a book for the library that they had Mason and I signed. So he was he was pretty honored by that, which was really special. But it's been pretty constant. I've been I've been doing... I think I've got eight different interviews that I've had where I've been interviewed. I just had a blockbuster episode where I had myself, Cole Horton, and Pablo mm-hmm. on along with our editor, Matt Jones. So it'll be that's the only podcast that's going to have all four of us on it, and mm-hmm. that's going to air very soon. So that was incredibly fun. And then, of course, I get to talk about it with you, and, and I've got another TV piece that's coming out tomorrow morning, and... We're doing more book signings and a lot of really exciting stuff are going on. I mean, if COVID had, had not happened, it'd be even more mm-hmm. um, worldly of a tour. But mm-hmm. this is pretty great. And just because I'm getting to share it, you know, and you probably saw my when I went to school the day the book came out, my wife had and some of the other teachers had decorated my classroom. They brought in donuts for the students and Star Wars mm-hmm. cookies that students had made. They had the streamers everywhere of the Mandalorian and it was it was pretty spectacular. It was it's uh, I mean you know what it's like to write a book and put it out there in the world, and it was very special, very exciting. It's just nice to see the love and support. And I really believe that when these things happen, you can see who supports you and there and who, who is not really interested in doing that. And I think that is sort of useful too. Well, all right. The important thing to stress here is you know, face it, Star Wars is an ongoing thing, so. They are going to have to be updates. They're going to have to be, you know, expanded editions of the Star Wars book. And hopefully by then, COVID will be, you know, not very fond memory. So hopefully you'll actually get to do your really for real book tour at that point. Yeah, um, but, I think so. But no, no, again, I just, I, I, Dan, I am just sort of weirdly proud of you because of this book. It's just, you know. That's not and, weird. I appreciate that. 
you know, uh, but it, trust me, I, you know, especially working on this podcast, I'm, I'm going to be referencing this thing a lot. Uh, I'll still pronounce the names wrong. I'm, I'm just saying. We but, don't have you know, we don't have any phonetic spellings. They didn't listen to my request, I guess. Well, there we go. And I All do right. think it's going to produce a lot of conversation starters. I think it's going to end a lot of conversations, and I think it's going to fuel a lot of fire in a positive way. In fact, during the signing, I had the great privilege of. Uh, looking over, and there were a couple of friends of mine that were mm. discussing the book, and they were open to a page that I happened to write, and they were debating it and trying to figure it out. And I walked over there with this weird sense of of excitement and pride, and I said, are you guys not sure about Are you debating this? Like, yeah. And I go, it's too bad the author isn't there to talk about it with you. And they just looked at me like, oh, duh, why aren't we doing this? So we had this great uh, conversation about Ray and Kylo Ren that was was great fun. And those are the kind of things I love. No, no, that's cool. That's cool. Okay. Well, again, that, you know, I, I'm sure that, that this is the start of a lot of great stories associated with the Star Wars book. So, uh, seriously, folks, uh, you know, uh, kudos to to you, Pablo and Cole. Uh, you know, and but I, honestly, folks, if you're a Star Wars fan on your holiday shopping list, this is the book to get. You know, just uh, and I say that with the, that two hundred dollar prequel book lurking out there which i'm i'm still kick, kick still kicking the tires on i gotta just it, it, my problem is it it's a coffee table book you could make a coffee table out of that's right um, well i appreciate the good the kind words on in the good vibes on the book thank you yeah, at least i could do all right well, well speaking of of someone who's kind and deserves lots of good vibes did you see what josh gad did this past week Yes, um, I'm so glad that you're talking about this. I mean, what what a perfect thing. He needs to come on and talk with us about it. I well, get yeah, that the problem is the poor man has two more. Well, all right, I should explain what we're talking about here. Uh earlier this week, Josh Gad uh put a, a thing on Instagram to the effect of he wanted uh what 10,000 retweets of a very simple message, you know, that's something to get out the vote. You know, uh, obviously we have the presidential election coming up next week. And so what Josh did, you know, offered as an incentive is if we could reach that milestone, if we could get 10,000 10, retweets, he would recap the entire Star Wars franchise as Olaf the Snowman from Frozen. Um, and, you know, the thing is, he he put this, this request out on the 27th. And wasn't it actually on the 27th he got all 10,000 retweets? I believe that's right, yes. Yeah, and, and so I, I think he actually started off the, the Instagram message he put up after that to the effect of, I, I may have low-balled, I should have, I should have gone with a higher number. <laughs> um, but what he's done, you know, he's decided, okay, because it's, it's a big story. It's, you know, the, the, you know, this saga. And so... He started with the prequels, and it's seven seven minutes and fifty five seconds of just comedy gold. You know, just like for example, I, I, you know, it, it's it's a, it's a fresh and funny take. I mean, with things like, you know, at, at the end of uh, example, uh, Revenge of the Sith. You know, Obi Wan retreats to the desert to await his own series on Disney Plus. Um, <laughs> you know, it just. I mean, it's just, it's such a, a you know, a, 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 a great thing. But yeah, let me reach out to Josh and see, you know, because he's, he's got to do, uh, you know, the, the original trilogy. And then, of course, uh, you know, the, the, the stories involving Ray. But 
yeah, let's see if we can get him on to talk about, you know, how do you take that much story and, you know, and first of all, winnow it down and then, you know, figure out how Olaf would tell this story. So pretty, um, pretty cool, pretty special that he did that. I agree. I agree. Uh, and let's see. Uh, speaking of uh, uh, pretty special things, uh, a few shows back, Dan and I talked about Red Tails, uh, George Lucas's amazing film about the Tuskegee Airmen. Uh, amazing movie, folks. Well worth watching uh, these days. Um, and George thought that there was a lot of story to tell here. His original plan was in, in the Star Wars style to do a film trilogy. Uh, film one would have uh, involved the recruitment and the training of these military uh, members of this military aviation unit that was made up entirely of black pilots. And in fact, with a weird little bend on the story, Dan, Eleanor Roosevelt was a huge champion of the Tuskegee Airmen. You know, when the Pentagon was grousing, she kind of plowed the road. Um, anyway, film two would have dealt with the Airmen's exploits in World War II. And then finally, film three was supposed to have dealt with what happened with the, the Tuskegee Airmen after the war ended, uh, where many of these pilots returned to the States and then began to battle another foe, segregation. Um, anyway, uh, better part of a decade, George pitches his project, but he couldn't have had a studio in Hollywood that was willing to fund production of the film trilogy. Uh, so in the end, he just made the one movie, uh, Red Tails, which was released to theaters back in January of 2012. But but all of the research that George did for that pr proposed film trilogy hasn't gone to waste. Did you see what Lucasfilm is 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 launching an educational in initiative that celebrates the Tuskegee Airmen? Isn't it wonderfully serendipitous that that is happening just a few short weeks after we happen to bring up this incredible film and story? And I, I, I applaud the fact that they're doing this and they're in there. I mean, it's I think it's important. There's some pretty powerful voices behind this thing too no absolutely uh, uh, by the way folks the 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 name of uh that this whole effort keys off of a documentary double victory the tuskegee airmen at war which by the way is now permanently available at lucasfilm.com uh and uh, you as a teacher will appreciate that stan uh the documentary is supplemented by an educational curriculum guide for grades six through twelve uh, and to help raise awareness of both Double Victory and Red Tails, a social media uh, campaign is built around the hashtag Fly Like Them, uh, was just launched to raise awareness of the Tuskegee Airmen. So, um, I, again, you're right. I, I'm, I'm especially thrilled that, you know, this is happening right after you and I talked about this. By the way, folks, um, Dan and I will be taking a closer look at the actual development and production of Red Tails, uh, which began way back in the 1980s. Uh, we'll share that story on our next Looking at Lucasfilm, which appropriately enough, should be posted on or about November 11th, uh, Veterans Day. Uh, let's see, what else, what else? Oh, um, and just a few days after that, on November 17th, we have the Star Wars, the Legos Star Wars holiday special. Um, have you seen any of the interviews that, that are out there about this, Dan? Or? No, I haven't. Uh, well, uh, James Waugh, uh, the gentleman uh, who, who's been working on this thing, uh, he's, he, he's right up front. He's warning Star Wars fans who are sticklers for continuity that they're not going to like this show. <laughs> uh, 
that these war that the holiday special is going to have a lot of characters from across all timelines crashing together, but in a way that's charming and fun. Uh, Wall went on to say, what we really wanted to do was create a piece of entertainment that could be watched every year. Uh, so, uh, evidently the, the, it, this animated holiday special directly follows the events of Star Wars, the rise of Skywalker. And so the resistance heroes are preparing to celebrate life day on Kashti. Am I getting that right? Uh, how, what's the spelling of it? That's K A S H. S H. It's the Wookiee. Oh, Kashik. 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 Damn. Okay. Kashik. And Ray, while she's there, Ray journeys to a mysterious Jedi temple where she was hurled across across timelines. Uh, through beloved moments in Star Wars history. So uh, she interacts with a young Luke, a young Kylo Ren. She even winds up battling uh, Darth Vader. And Tendawa goes on to say, this is not the Lego remake of the holiday special in any way. We're not doing Lego B. Arthur singing in a cantina. Uh, so we're supposed to think more along the lines of a, a cosmic Christmas carol. Uh, where, for example, you get to see, you know, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi's from three different eras and uh, two two types of Han Solo, one old and cranky and one young and just a little cranky. Um, oh, 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 speaking of Obi-Wan, uh, did you see, uh, you know, the, the news about uh, the pre-production work that they, they were doing on the Obi-Wan limited series? Yeah, it looks like things are going uh, promisingly well. Yeah, well, what's kind of intriguing is how far back they they have been doing test work on this thing. Uh, Ewan McGregor uh, appeared on the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast. Love that title, by the way. Uh, and he talked about how um, they did, they actually went on the set of The Mandalorian and used the volume of that space to do some costume tests for the Obi-Wan uh, limited series. In fact, uh, he went on set with Deborah Chow, who, of course, directed, you know, one or two of the, the better episodes of The Mandalorian season one. And, um, you know, and she's going to be the show director on the Obi-Wan limited series. And in talking about this soon to be shooting project, uh, McGregor went on to say, it's been a long time coming. I mean, we've been talking about doing this, this uh, Lucasfilm and Disney, I, I don't know, for four or five, maybe more years, and it's just taken a while for it to come to fruition. Um, excited in the fact that it's a series opposed to a movie because it gives us more space, but I think you and I talked about that previously, that, you know, the uh, what's exciting about so many of these projects heading over to Disney Plus is, you know, that the narratives are actually going to have some, you know, breathing space that, you know, they're not, you know, jumping from action scene to action scene to action scene. Right. Uh, though something that's sure to have a lot of action scenes is uh, Star Wars Tales of from Galaxy's Edge, uh, the uh, the game from Oculus Quest. Um, and what did you did you see the trailer that dropped uh, for this? Yeah, not only is it does the the footage look like you're actually walking along Batuu, but it also has Frank Oz in it as the voice of Yoda. Yes, yes, you know, and I you know, I mean, we already had. Uh, Anthony Daniels coming back to do C-3PO, but this is really the icing on the cake 
Um, now, I, the folks who made the game want to caution folks that, that Yoda, I guess, is featured in... There's a short story they tell within the game. Uh, in fact, what is it? The, the C-Slack, the, the character that Bobby Monaghan, yes. uh, the cantina owner, uh, he voices in it. Uh, in fact, I guess as part of the trailer, they, they have him say, let me tell you the story of a mysterious Jedi temple right here in Batu." Um, and, but that's, again, the one, the thing that Oculus Quest wants to warn people about is Frank's portion of this is basically a never before told short tale. Uh, so, you know, don't expect that you're going to be fighting side by side. Don't get me wrong. The, the, the trailer also revealed that you get to wield a lightsaber, uh, you know, uh, as part of this game, which looks very cool, but. Uh, you're, you're not going to get the chance to wield a lightsaber with Yoda throughout this entire game. So, so set your expectations appropriately, folks. But, right. uh, but on the other hand, Frank Oz, Frank Oz coming back to do Yoda. Yeah, so. which is great. I mean, it, it, and it all ties into experiences that have been in place at Galaxy's Edge since mm. that park, that part of the park at, on both coasts opened. So it, it does it does fit into the lore of what's already there. You just have to kind of look for it. I agree. I agree. And, and speaking of things that are coming back, uh, what did you make of this Willow sequel series announcement? I think I may have to watch Willow again. I, As we said a few weeks ago, I've only seen it once, and that was when it was in the theater. So I know a lot of people are very excited about it. I'm, I'm, I don't know if it's a little too deep into the woods for people, but I guess we'll find out very soon, won't we? Well, what's interesting is if you talk with the folks at Lucasfilm, and remember on the, the previous show we were talking about how, because of you know we you know we are three years out at this point, more than three years out from the next Star Wars theatrical release in two thousand twenty through three, and again, again, you and I both know that's only, you know, that's a placeholder because everyone's concerned about, you know, COVID still, you know, and that you know will. You know these these large films actually move forward, um, but you know so largely Star Wars as a franchise is going to live and breathe and grow on Disney Plus for the next few years. I mean, obviously we've got the Mandalorian uh, season two you're starting later this week, the Obi Wan series we just talked about, uh, Star Wars the Bad Batch. Uh, by the way, con confirmed with folks over at Lucas Animation, this is still going to make it to 2021. Uh, and they're, they're very, very, very excited about it. Um, but yeah, Disney and Lucas saw this as an opportunity, uh, this particular film, Willow, uh, as an opportunity to do their first non-Star Wars thing for Disney+. And, you know, they persuaded quite a few folks. I mean, for example, Ron Howard, the original director, he's back as an executive producer on this limited series. Uh, Warwick Davis, uh, which you know, uh, you know, we all know and love from from the Star Wars films. Uh, he's back to play uh, Willow Offgood. And but what but what's genuinely interesting about this is who they tapped as uh, the guys directing the pilot as well as uh, executive producing, and that's John Chu, the the director of Rich Crazy Asians and. In the Heights, the uh, Lin Manuel Miranda uh, musical, the, the film musical that's been shot and is sitting in the can waiting to, to for theaters to reopen. 
but John, uh, in talking about the series, uh, he's well, Dan, first of all, he is a, a truly dedicated Willow fan. He actually named his daughter Willow. So that's hardcore. <laughs> yeah, hardcore. Uh, but he talks about growing up in the 80s, Willow had a profound effect on me. The story of the bravest heroes in the least likely places allowed me, an Asian-American kid growing up in a Chinese restaurant looking to go to Hollywood, to believe in the power of her own will, determination, of course, inner magic. And the fact that I get to work with my heroes from Kathleen Kennedy to Ron Howard is a dream come true, is bigger than a dream come true. It's a bucket list moment for me. Uh, and and again, I knowing your your love for Solo, uh, Jonathan Kasdan uh, is a showrunner on this thing. That's great. So, I mean, he he's a yeah, he's right. a good he's good at, at plot and character development, mm -hmm. and I'd like to see him get involved with some more things anyway too. So this is good news. No, I, I I agree, and and for me personally, I wonder if they're going to bring back the the two headed dragon creature, the Sispert. Yeah. Um. You know, you know the story behind that one, right? The uh, I don't I don't know if I do. <laughs> uh, it, it, George evidently, I, it's called the Sispert because uh, 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 Siskel and Ebert. Gene Siskel and, and Roger Ebert, wow. you know, the, the, from at the movies that yeah. uh, that this was <laughs> George's way, evidently. Of I, I guess they had been a touch unkind to to one of the films he'd made recently, and so uh, so the Sispert was this ugly beast that rose up out of the <laughs> the moat and attacked poor Willow. So you know, um, when I worked at Hollywood Studios, I sold a Mickey Mouse watch to Gene Siskel. Did you really? Yeah. Wow, yeah, it's cool. Oh. He was nice. Okay. Very tall. Oh, I, I've heard that. He that, 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 that heard nice things about both he and Roger. Um, by the way, speaking of creatures from Lucasfilm Productions, uh, I dug up an, a Halloween appropriate tale about a Star Wars skeleton that has a kind of a wild, wild tie to a Walt Disney film, and we'll get to that in a moment. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, you all know the scene. It's 10 minutes into Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, R2-D2, and C-3PO's escape pod has crash-landed on Tatooine, and the two droids find themselves out in the, the middle of the Great Dune Sea. R2-D2 wants to go one way, C-3PO wants to go another. They fight and split up. And so next scene, we see C-3PO. You know, he's tired, he's hot. He's struggling to get up over a ridge, and behind him are the bleach bones of some immense dinosaur-like creature. And 3PO says something to the effect of, that malfunctioning little twerp, this is all his fault. He tricked me into going this way, but he'll do no better. Um, now, Dan, according to Star Wars mythology, the bones behind C-3PO are those of a crate dragon? Have you, I got that right? You got it right. You pronounce it right. Okay. It's the right yep, that's it. Okay, so 
And as I understand it, these are large carnivorous beasts that wander the deserts of Tatooine, and they're supposedly so fearsome that even Tusken Raiders are afraid of them. Um, On the other hand, if you actually talk to the folks who journeyed to Tunisia in March of 1976 to the edge of the Sahara Desert to shoot these scenes in episode four, The New Hope, They'd have told you an entirely different story, that, that, that those bones are not a crate dragon, but rather they are the skeleton of a diplodocus, a sauropod from the late Jurassic period. And how do these guys know that, Dan? Because they were part of, they were part of the team who first hauled those faux dinosaur bones out of storage at Pinewood Studios, loaded them to storage containers, and then had these oversized props shipped to North Africa where after the Star Wars production team spent three weeks with bulldozers grooming the dunes in a way so they would look otherworldly, the neck and spine of this Diplodocus was then carefully positioned on the sand. Uh, Now, mind you, Disney fans might actually recognize this sauropod skeleton. Uh, It was created for one of our dinosaurs is missing which is a British-American comedy film uh, that Disney made uh, set in the early 1920s. Uh, it involved the, the theft of a dinosaur skeleton out of the Natural History Museum in London. Um, I, I, I'm sorry, you can't see one of our dinosaurs is missing on Disney+, Plus, not yet anyway. Uh, that's largely because even though this movie was directed by Robert Stevenson and, and Bill Walsh, the same team that brought us Mary Poppins, The Love Bug, and Bad Knob and Broomsticks, one of our dinosaurs is missing is thought to be racially insensitive these days, hmm. largely because of that the comic role that Peter Ustinov plays in the movie, which is a Chinese warlord. So it's, you know, and he's, oh. he's heavily made up. And that's a yeah, problem. I mean, yeah. Um, interesting, though, for, for Star Wars fan, in One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing, Peter Ustinov's Chinese warlord character has an assistant, Quan. He's played by British character actor Clive Revell, who I don't need to tell you, Dan, uh, was the voice of the Emperor in the original 1980 version of Empire Strikes Back. That's right. Uh, You know, um, anyway, back to one of our dinosaurs missing. That was shot in the UK in the summer of July of 1974, released to theaters the following July. Uh, And the sets of props, once the film was completed, uh, you know, were struck, packed up, uh, and put in storage. So, um, okay, we jump ahead now, late fall, early winter of 1975, when pre-production of Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope, is gearing up. And as someone uh, shows the crew at Eel Street uh, Studios, uh, Ralph McQuarrie's concept paintings of C-3PO wandering in the desert with the skeleton, some vast beast draped over a dune behind him, and a member of the crew who had actually worked on... One of our dinosaurs is missing a year and a half earlier. Says, "I know where we can get one of those." Um, but but here's the thing, Deb. After two and a half weeks of filming in in Tunisia, production of Episode Four: A New Hope moves to Elstree uh, near London. But that Diplodocus skeleton, because it was so heavy, and it would have cost a fortune to ex- you know extract out of the dune, pack up, and then ship back to the UK, is left behind. Uh, right where uh, the, you know uh, right there draped over the dune and wind and sand eventually bury the skeleton um I, and which i i know sounds strange but hollywood has a history of, of this um have you ever heard of the lost city of demille no 
Okay. Uh, 1923, Cecil B. DeMille builds the largest set in movie history in the dunes near Guadalupe, California, for his silent version of the Ten Commandments. Uh, it was the city of the pharaohs. And when filming was complete, because DeMille didn't want another film, you know, another studio or another film company coming in and using the set that he built, he ordered the entire set be dismantled and then secretly buried in the dunes. And so it laid there for 60 years until a bunch of film buffs in 1983, uh, you know, that, that DeMille had referred to this in his biography, which had been, uh, or autobiography that had been uh, published posthumously. And they went out to the desert and they hunted uh, for weeks and weeks, but finally found. And, you know, the thing is that, you know, they're, they're uncovering these Egyptian, these faux Egyptian artifacts that are beautifully detailed, but they're made out of plaster and wood, but they're perfectly preserved under the snow dirt, or, or the uh, sand dunes. Anyway, uh, speaking of film buffs, uh, visiting the locations of the Star Wars movies, uh, you know, where they were shot became kind of a thing in the 80s and 90s. And in 1995, archaeologist and filmmaker David West Reynolds journeyed to the Tunisian desert with the hope of finding that skeleton, which he had heard they had left behind. Um, and so it took a lot of digging, but eventually Dave found just the right dune, and sure enough, he uncovered that oversized skeleton, which had been repurposed from Disney's One of Our Dinosaurs, is missing. Uh, and what's fun about this is this story eventually gets back to George Lucas, uh, who, you know, uh, and, and we now jump ahead to July of 1997, uh, when Lucas has returned to the Tunisian desert to shoot the scenes for Phantom Menace that are set on Tatooine. Uh, and so they they had built the the city of Mos Espa. Am I saying that right? Yeah, Mos Espa. Okay. Uh, so that's the city where Anakin uh, Skywalker and his mom, Shimi, live. Yeah, uh, anyway, it's built outside of the city of Tozier. Uh, and on the night of the third, on, on the night following the third day of filming at Tozier, an unexpected sandstorm sweeps up and destroys many of the sets and a lot of the props of the film. So George shows up the next morning and is told it's going to take a couple of days to rebuild the sets and the props and, you know, and go and someone turns to George and you know, kind uh, of said, well, what do you want to do in the meantime? And he supposedly stroked his beard for a moment and said, let's go see if we can find that dinosaur skeleton. Um, and I, I'm told that, you know, George took a portion of the crew and it took them the better part of the day, but, you know, they, they were driving around and eventually George kind of recognized the dune and, you know, they all got out and they did a little digging and they found that the, sure enough, they, they dug down and they found the, um, the, the dinosaur skeleton, which had been, again, once again, recovered by sand and the wind. Uh, and then George proceeded to tell them the stories of, of being, you know, that the, the three weeks that he had people out in the desert, you know, with bulldozers shaping this so it looked like Tatooine. And, and Dan, to this day, that skeleton is still out there in the desert of Tunisia. Um, a few of the smaller vertebrae, which, which by the way, the, even the small pieces, weighed upwards of 100 pounds, uh, had been carted away by dedicated Star Wars fan, but 
but the others are still there, just like the lost city of DeMille. So Isn't that um, that's crazy. Yeah. 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 I, I just, but again, I just, I, I love the Disney tie there. And by the way, that there's a little tiny sub story here where, uh, you know, that there are, <laughs> there are Star Wars fans who are also fans of, um, the uh the, the the series uh space 1999 which also by the way was was shot uh at at, at pinewood and uh you know about this same time and there's an episode of the second season of that show where um there are you know there are skeletons shown uh, dinosaur skeletons on on uh, I, I think it's called the, the rules of luton um and you know that, that there were fans like wait a minute that's that's the same skeleton from uh you know uh you know from uh, a new hope and it's like well no it's not i you know it, it because uh you know they disney actually built several versions of this diplodocus skeleton and there, there was one for example that was rigged so they could roll around in the back of a truck i mean that's half of the comedy scenes of this movie are English nannies driving a lorry through the foggy streets of London with a giant Diplodocus skeleton in the back of the truck. Um, but yeah, it's it's the same skeleton, you know, but the duplicate that was made to be put on top of the top of the truck. But but yeah, it's it's featured in this prop from this Disney film is featured in two, you know, sci-fi favorites from you know the 70s, the original Star Wars A New Hope and Space 1999. So anyway, uh, so, I, you know, it, all right, it's skeletons. It's kind of Halloween-y, kind of. Um, I, speaking of Halloween, and we were talking earlier about Mason, Dan, uh, this is kind of a challenging Halloween, isn't it? It is. Obviously, they're not doing a traditional trick-or-treating uh, the, the way that it normally is. So we're kind of doing some fun stuff at our house. We're going to decorate our base and make it sort of like a little haunted mansion area. And then we're going to do, we're going to have him do some trick or treating, you know, with his grandparents, but then we're going to just pretend like our house is a neighborhood. We've got lots of doors and lots of rooms. So every door is going to be a new house and he's going to go trick or treating throughout the house. And he's very excited about it. That's, that's a clever solution. I like that idea. Wow. Okay. Big thumbs up there. All right. Now you, you had already just talked about your, your big episode, uh, with Cole and Pablo and the, the editor of, uh, you know, the, the Star Wars book. But can you talk about what else you're up to over with, you know, Coffee with Kenobi? Yeah, we, on our Patreon page, we just did a show on uh, things that scare us for Halloween. We're doing a top five movie monsters, which is going to be great fun. Uh, I interviewed Kyle Newman, the director of Fanboys, who's a, a, a big Star Wars oh. fan, and and uh, he did a, a Dungeons and Dragons cookbook with Matthew uh, Whitwer, who's also who's the brother of Sam Whitwer, the voice of Darth Maul, and mm-hmm. so that was great fun too. We'll be looking very closely at every episode of The Mandalorian as they air, and uh, yeah, I think that I think that pretty much sums it up. And of course, every Monday night at eight o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time, you can find me on Facebook Live. Very cool. Okay. Uh, well, Nancy wants me to remind you guys, uh, well, we got the uh, Disney dish, which I do with Len Tessa. We have um, uh, fine tuning, which I do with, do with Drew Taylor. By the way, we're coming up with our, our big 100th episode, Dan. Wow. Uh, and 
and we we actually got a very cool guest who has an amazing story to say, share about a, a, a Disney or excuse me a Pixar uh, slash Disney animation project that that, that never happened. Uh, let's see, I'm going to be recording a brand new Marvelous uh, Disney with Aaron Adams, the the gentleman who does a lot of editing the podcast at, at uh, our place. Working on a, a brand new I Want That uh, with Shelly Valladolid, which hopefully we'll record this weekend. Likewise, uh, what is it? Uh, also, we'll be doing a brand new Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse, uh, though it's <sighs> it's getting tougher and tougher to find fun stories to tell about theme park right now. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, you, you, you heard about the equity layoffs and all that, right? Yeah, it's, or, just, it's horrible. It's heartbreaking. It doesn't seem like it's ever going to stop. Yeah, it will though. I mean, it, again, that that's the one thing you got to remember, folks. These are, you know, the the nice thing about building things out of steel and concrete is they will be there tomorrow. They work like the the lost city of Demille. They'll be here sixty years from now. Um, so you know, eventually, COVID will be in the rearview mirror, and you know, whether it's a vaccine or a treatment thing or that sort of thing, and you know, hopefully, you know, all of these talented folks can come back to work someday. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, Dan and I will try to keep you entertained. Uh, tell you what, if you could do us a favor, um, if you could head over to iTunes and not only uh, rate and recommend looking at Lucasfilm, but also all of the cool stuff that Dan does with Coffee with Kenobi, uh, that helps additional people find the shows and, you know, spreads the word, so to speak. By the way, if you really, really, really like what you were listening to tonight, if you get head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. Um, and, and again, Dan, I, I, I so enjoy, you know, the stuff you post on social media. Can, can you tell folks where, where they can also get in on the fun? Absolutely. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Mr. Zer, M-R-Z-E-H-R, and Coffee with Kenobi is on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, YouTube, and you can find us on all those places. Subscribe, like us, all that good stuff. Cool. And let's see, Nancy wants me to remind you folks that you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. So I guess beyond that, folks, uh, go out and get yourself a copy of the Star Wars book. It, it comes very highly recommended. Uh, and, you know, in between that, you, you should you know, get yourself, you know, a subscription to Disney Plus because we're two days out, Mandalorian season two. Uh, can't wait to talk about that stuff with you on the next show, Dan. Sounds great.